people have this tendency to think of couples therapy as crisis intervention, where it's like, we're so mad at each other. We hate each other's guts. We're about to get a divorce. And now we want to see a couples therapist. And they go to the therapist and they're like, fix us. But you want to sort of frame couples therapy as less as a crisis intervention and more of preventative interventions. Grown Girls. Welcome back to the Girl We Grow Now podcast. I am your host, Victoria, and I'm so excited to have you all joining me for this week's episode. Today's episode is a part two of last week's episode. So if you have not tuned in to episode 11, make sure you pause this, go listen to episode 11, and then come back so that you can get the whole conversation that Nina and I had because trust me, you don't want to miss any of it. It was a really great conversation. I learned a ton, so I know that you all will also learn a ton. So if you listen to episode 11, we talked a lot about attachment styles and I even linked a quiz that Nina mentioned in the show notes. So I took the quiz, you guys, and drum roll please. I found out that I do have a secure attachment style, but as Nina mentioned in the episode, I didn't get too excited. I made sure to look at the second largest slice of the pie so that I can really tune into that because when you do get in those moments and those situations where you start to revert back to an insecure attachment style, at least you will have an idea of what that is for you. All right, so in today's episode, Nina and I talk about how important it is to heal our trauma, not only for our adult relationships, but for the relationships that we have with our kids. So the more secure our attachment style is and the more work we've put in to heal our trauma, the more aware we are of our triggers, the better we can show up in our relationships in general. But it's extremely important for when we decide to become parents and have kids, or if you are already parents and have kids, it is okay if you are just now getting into the space of healing your trauma. But the important thing is that we make that decision for ourselves. So we also dive into some healthy pillars for relationships and Nina's thoughts on couples therapy while dating. And Nina even drops some tips on how we can be intentional with dating on dating apps and really avoiding that pitfall of constantly swiping and swiping to the next person and overlooking a good person that maybe you have already matched with. Okay, so this episode is jammed packed with information and I think y'all are really gonna love it so let's go ahead and jump into part two of nina's interview what would you say is like the biggest determining factor of how our attachment style is determined it's definitely your childhood so your relationship and specifically your relationship with your primary caregivers so for most people that's going to be mom and dad but if you grew up with an aunt or an uncle or like with grandparents foster homes whatever the case may be whoever the adult was that spent the majority of their time with you in those early years so zero to five That's like where you're going to see your attachment style really develop. So I feel like me and my friends have this conversation a lot because we are at the age where we're considering having kids. Some of them Mm -hmm. are married. So with just just knowing that we are kind of going to be the beholder of our child's attachment (laughs) style, are there like any advice or things we should try to like, I don't know, any books or just anything we can try to do or use so that we can do a, I know no one's perfect, but we can do like a better job of trying to get them more of the secure attachment set. Sure. Yeah, I love that question. That's like such a good question. I feel like, obviously not to harp on this again, but definitely go to your own therapy. If you're considering Mm -hmm. having children, it should be a law, honestly. (laughs) But go to therapy because 
the thing is, and with generational trauma, it's so real. Like if your grandparents had stuff going on and they passed on that trauma to your parents who passed it on to you, the way that you're going to break that cycle is to identify it. And if you just go about your life not thinking about these things, which to be fair, a lot of people don't, you're going to pass it on. So if you can figure out, this is so basic, but even being able to be like, hey, okay, like I have an insecure attachment style. I'm avoidantly attached. How is that going to impact my relationship with my kid? Because if I'm avoidantly attached with my partner and I want to ignore my partner after we get into a fight, what happens when me and my kid get into a fight? Am I going to ignore that kid too? How is that going to make that kid feel? Because that kid is not an adult. They don't have an adult worldview. They don't know any better. So they're just going to think, oh, mom hates me. (laughs) Like mom doesn't want to talk to me. I don't exist to her when she's mad at me. So figuring out, okay, do I have a secure attachment style is so important. And if the answer is no, one of the best things I can tell you is start working on how to figure or how to make that secure, not only just for you, but for your children. And then a really important thing to remember as well, that those attachment styles are, they're formed very, very early on. So a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you know, my relationship with my parents got better when I was 24. It's like, okay, cool. But at that point, your, your attachment style has already been developed. So now we're doing a lot of backtracking. I think that's great when that does happen, but it's the initial stages of development. That's where you really want to look at it. So when you have a baby in those first, you know, three to five, Five years really working on creating a sense of trust and a sense of love and commitment within that parent-child relationship, knowing that you can come to me no matter what and creating a sense of unconditional love for your child and knowing that they can always come back to you, they can always trust you. And focusing on attachment parenting in general can be absolutely great for that. What's attachment parenting? So attachment parenting, good question. <laughs> um, attachment parenting is really just like Taking on parenting through the lens of, it's just a parenting philosophy, essentially, that says, like, we're going to look at attachment while we're trying to help our child grow. So um, you want to really make sure that you're helping them not only with just basic needs. You know, I'm sure you've heard parents say this, where it's like, I gave you everything. I gave you clothes and food and <laughs> and, and, and a roof over your head. And it's like, that's awesome. That's the basics. <laughs> and that's like, if you are having a child, you are doing the bare minimum by giving them mm. that because they rely on that. They're You're their adult. They need that from you. And that's not something that you get to be like, oh, I'm a better parent than everyone else because I gave you food and water. No, that's great. But on top of that, there's also, okay, is there security in the home? And do I feel safe in the, in the roof that I reside in? Do I feel like I belong in this family? Am I praised for the things that I do well? Am I gently showed when I don't do something right? Am I told how to do better? Do my parents focus on the things that I've accomplished? Do they allow me to explore my environment and my world on my own, knowing that I can always fall back on them? So attachment parenting really just focuses on, hey, like the connection between the parent and the child is more than just this is this kid that I have to feed for the next 18 years. It's about like, no, (laughs) I want to raise my child to be secure. I want to raise my child to be, to have empathy for others and to be independent, to know that They can do things on their own, but they will always have people to fall back on. They don't need to do everything on their own, but they can if they want to. I love that you were mentioning all of this because these are conversations that, you know, me and my friends have about just being like having a child is a big decision so really just thinking about everything like you said yeah like the bare minimum is to provide a roof food water all of those things but just thinking about 
how am I or am I in a space to effectively raise a child and not, you know, traumatize them? Of course, no one's perfect. But like just even having those conversations and trying to be aware of, like you said, our own trauma, our own attachment style is going to make a huge difference in breaking our generational trauma. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And it's so hard. It's so hard to do that without having awareness. So that's why I focus so much on like, be self-aware, be self-aware. Because like you said, like, no one's ever got it right. There isn't, there's not a parent in the world that's going to have a kid and not somehow traumatize them in some way, right? But the point is not, hey, don't do anything wrong ever. The point is, hey, when you do do something wrong, are you able to come back and A, acknowledge that I've done something wrong and B, repair that relationship? So sometimes it's humbling, but like looking at your kid and being like, I'm sorry that I did that. That was not fair to you. I love you. Let's see how we can, you know, repair this relationship. And for couples, too. If you're if you're planning on having a baby, go to couples counseling. <laughs> like that can be incredibly important too, because it's like, you know, you're two individual people from two different family systems and two different family histories and different beliefs and different ideals. And it's amazing that you've come together in this relationship. But now you're going to create this human who's going to be part of a new family system, which is going to be yours. So in order to figure out what that looks like, I always recommend getting couples counseling. And there's therapists out there who specifically also focus on like pre baby counseling. So like uh, if you're pregnant, if you're trying to get pregnant, you can always, you know, seek out a therapist who can specifically kind of walk you through like stuff like attachment parenting, if that's something you're interested in, or even exploring your own generational traumas. How can you break those cycles so that you're not passing on intense trauma to your children? Yes. And that is also another good point because I know I've talked to some of my friends and mm-hmm. so they are, they're not all parents, but I know one of them has a dog and they're like, yeah, me and my husband just, we have mm-hmm. different ideas of how we even want to raise a dog so you know when it comes totally. to a child like that's a whole nother level oh my gosh yes absolutely like it's so <laughs> funny that you mentioned that too because it's like we forget that everyone's got their own ideas and everyone thinks that their own ideas are normal right where it's like well I grew up like this and that's my normal and then your partner's gonna be like well I grew up like this and that's my normal and unfortunately a lot of the time like this is where we'll see a lot of clash in the home environment is mom has one idea for how she wants to raise kids dad has another philosophy and so then the kids are just like well now I'm just stuck in the middle right or mom and dad are constantly fighting over how they want to parent me now I feel bad and it's just it can be a mess so if you're planning on having children please, please, please make sure that you're having these conversations with your partner before you have the baby. <laughs> because by then, it's never too late, but it's it's late in the process. So make sure you're talking about, do we want to have kids? That's a big question sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. come up until later. Do we want to have kids? If so, how do we want to raise them? What values are important to us? What does our family involvement look like in the raising of our children? What do our friends look like? What does community mean? And kind of having these tough, uncomfortable conversations, because sometimes I think we really take it for granted. We just assume that, hey, what I believe is probably what everyone else believes. But parenting is so specific to individuals. And so make sure that you and your partner are on the same page, or at least like in the same headed in the same direction and open to working with each other and what what your parenting philosophies are going to be. Yes, so huge. Let's talk about relationships. I yes. believe <laughs> when we enter any kind of relationship, it really just starts with ourselves. Totally. So how can we go about becoming a more loving person starting with the love we have for ourselves? Yeah, I love that question. Well, so the big thing is like, 
Get to know yourself. And I think that that sounds, again, like super basic, but it's very, very true. I think that sometimes, especially for people with insecure attachment styles, some and especially like anxious um, attachment, sometimes we can lose ourselves in relationships, right? Where we want to be this perfect partner to the point where you're, you know, spending all your time with them, doing whatever they want, kind of pushing your own needs aside. And the antidote to that is really figuring out like, okay, well, what are my needs? What do I like? What do I I want to bring to the table. So if you want to love yourself more, first thing you got to do, just like loving someone else, you got to get to know them, right? So you got to get to know yourself. You got to find out like what interests you, what calms you down, what scares you, what makes you feel good, who makes you feel good. What do I enjoy doing when I'm not at work or with my friends and family? And understand yourself on a better level. And think of it again, like sort of as a way to honor your partner or your future partner, because then if you know, you can tell them. And without knowing you won't be able to communicate that with them. So it just makes everything harder. Yes. Like you said, it's something simple, but it can easily be overlooked just with like the bustle of life and just Mm -hmm. the go, go, go that we're all on. So I just love that you mentioned that. Yeah. Go on solo dates. That's like, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's one that's hard for me, but I try to do it when I can. (laughs) I'm someone who I don't mind going out by myself. I kind of love it. (laughs) Of course, I love going out with my friends, but yeah, like I remember when I was was when I lived in Houston so I think mm-hmm. it was like mid-20s I used to just so if my friends didn't want to go to the bar I would just go uh-huh. by myself and I literally met two really good friends by going oh out my gosh, to the bar by no myself way. yeah so that's always so inspiring such, oh, well, thank you <laughs> it just had such good experiences going out by myself um yes because I do feel like it's kind of like an easy way like I think it's easier for people to talk to you when you are by yourself versus with other mm-hmm. people because it's like less totally. intimidating so yeah I mean if that can encourage anyone if you are in a new city or something you just want to mm-hmm. go out by yourself like instead of ordering uber eats or takeout just like give it a try <laughs> go sit at the bar you never know what's gonna happen yeah and you never knew who you're gonna meet right yes. you could, like like exactly like what happened to you you can m- meet like the best friends that you've ever had just take the leap of faith and yes. go try to do something by yourself exactly so what are the pillars to having a strong and healthy relationship in your opinion okay so the three things that i always try to think about the first is obviously commitment commitment to each other no matter what and this is something that i will say a lot especially when i'm working with couples is we think of love as this thing that it's like oh i just like fell in love and then that was it but love is very much a choice <laughs> And you kind of have to choose to wake up and pick your partner every day, even on the days that are bad, even on the days that you're so annoyed at them. But you wake up and you're kind of like, okay, this is my person. This is who I'm picking. And so making an active effort towards commitment strengthens the relationship. You're saying, this is what I'm choosing, even if it is getting hard, or even if it is hard, I'm still picking you. The next thing that I would look for is trust. Obviously, like trust is such a big thing that we talk about all the time, but trying to develop the strong sense of trust with your partner that you can. And again, this is not always, you're not going to meet someone and just be like, oh yeah, like 100%, I trust you. Here's everything you need to know, right? But as the relationship strengthens and as it develops, like working on developing that trust and opening up and being more comfortable with being vulnerable with that person. And then the last thing I'd say is intimacy. And so when when I say intimacy, I don't just mean sex, but intimacy of 
both a physical and and like an emotional level, like being able to be like, I'm having a hard day and let me tell you why and sharing that space and holding that space for each other. And then again, like with emotional intimacy, kind of going back to like everything we talked about before, where it's like, can we have these hard conversations about like what our families were like? Can we have a hard conversation about what we want our children to be like? Can we have the harder conversations that aren't just your like casual chatting, but kind of being able to go a little bit deeper with each other. So really focusing on making intimacy a pillar. Yeah. So I'm so happy you mentioned trust because I wanted to ask you, what are some ways someone can overcome trust issues so that they don't project that in their next relationship? It's a good question. This is something my therapist told me actually too. So this is like good advice. I think a big part of trusting other people, especially in relationships, there's got to be a certain part of you that trusts yourself because you were trusting yourself enough to say like, I picked this person and I wake up every day and I pick this person. And there is a certain reason why I am doing that. And if you find yourself having a hard time finding the reason for that, then maybe come back and take another look. But you were making a conscious choice for the most part to have your partner in your life. So why do you do that? And use that as the anchor for, do I continue to trust this person? And especially if they haven't given you a reason not to, but knowing that, you know, trust is one of those big, when we think about like the pillars of a relationship, if you don't trust your partner, and it doesn't have to be like a hundred percent, but if you're not working towards trusting your partner, then you don't have a foundation and the house caves in. Ooh, the house caves in. I like that. But I do want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. So what if you do trust yourself and so you trust your partner but then Mm -hmm. that partner actually does do something like cheat on you or betray you how can you overcome the oh my gosh I trust in him I really trust in myself factor in that all to allow yourself to retrust yourself in your next relationship sure yeah well I think part of it too is like well, A, give yourself space, <laughs> give yourself time. When it comes to like betrayal too, like one of the things that I'll hear all the time is like, well, how could I have missed it? Or how could I, people will turn it inward and they'll kind of start blaming themselves. But a big piece of it is just like, look, what happened happened. I'm going to give myself a little bit of space to heal from the relationship. Because again, you don't want to just jump into something new, but allow yourself to take your time when you're getting to know someone new. Or if you're dating again, and trying to work through trust issues that you may have had in the past, know that you know you can take your time. You don't have to dive into anything. You can take small little emotional risks, even just by like being like, okay, like I'm gonna go on a date with someone tonight, and maybe it'll be fun. And let yourself do it, and don't hold any expectations for yourself, but just go knowing that you trust yourself to try something new. And then focusing on like communication too. If you if you enter into another relationship, make sure that you get ahead of that and set your boundaries reason the beginning. Don't wait until after trust has been broken to be like, well, you weren't supposed to do that. Get ahead of that. And in the beginning, make sure that you're very clear about what you're okay with, what you're not okay with. Because again, it varies relationship to relationship, what people's boundaries are like, if you're monogamous, if you're not monogamous, things like that. So really, it almost makes me think of like what we're talking about earlier with intuition versus anxiety is you've got to learn how to trust yourself again. And you have got to show yourself some compassion and remind yourself that any betrayal of your trust was not your fault. And there's nothing that you could have done about it. And you couldn't have stopped it from happening. If someone wants to betray your trust, they will. The question is, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to let that hinder you from feeling like the intense capacity of love that you probably do already have? Or are you going to allow yourself to try something new? I love really everything you said, but I love when you mentioned to take your time. I think yeah. sometimes, at least I know what 
I've like heard some of my friends talk about and even just in my past relationships, like I can just feed off of the energy of the guy and I'm like, oh, he's leading mm-hmm. and maybe he's moving too fast. But I'm like, well, you know, when guys know what they want, they just know what they want. But sure. it's really just being like, if you feel like you want to slow down, like it's okay to advocate for yourself and voice that. Like, you don't really yes. have to go at that person's pace, if, especially totally. coming off of that kind of situation and you just want to take things slow. And yeah, so I feel like I've heard like just a lot of my friends just kind of just go at the pace of the guy and not really yeah. Yes. with ourselves. Yeah, I feel like we do that a lot, right? Where it's like, oh, well, he's ready. Ask yourself, are you ready? Because <laughs> he's ready. That's awesome. Hopefully he'll wait. But if you <laughs> feel like you're not ready, if he doesn't wait, then there's your answer. Like mm-hmm. now you know, right? But if this is someone who cares about you and wants to develop a relationship with you, they'll give you some time. Obviously, make sure it's like an appropriate amount of time. But if you find yourself trying to, you know, trust someone again too quickly or you feel like you're just diving into it, just pull back a little bit and remind yourself that trust is something that has to be built. It's not something that you're just handing out, but give yourself the opportunity to appropriately build that trust given the nature of the relationship. So if it's someone you've known for a week, <laughs> you don't have to trust them fully yet. Give them a little bit of time to to earn that. Yes. And, you know, sometimes when people are moving so fast, voicing that you want to slow down and their response will kind of like mm-hmm. give you your answer on like what their intentions are. So oh I also God, think yes. that's like another good thing. Totally. It's like a good way to weed out the, you know, the weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What are some ways we can become more self-aware of our trauma and triggers so that we don't project them on our partner? I'd say the first thing is kind of just what I think this question is good because it kind of like encapsulates a lot of stuff that we've been talking about today. But understanding your thoughts, understanding your own emotions and feelings, learning how to trust yourself, being self-aware of your trauma or your triggers, a lot of that's going to boil down to being able to like turn inwards. Can you look at yourself and understand why the things that upset you, like why they upset you? So a good way to think about this in relationships is if you look at your past relationships, or if you're currently in a relationship, take a look at the things that your partner does that might upset you disproportionately. So if you find yourself getting really aggravated or really, really upset about something that on the surface may seem like not really a big deal to everyone else, validate that. Kind of be like, you know, I understand that I'm really upset right now about this thing. But ask yourself, like, why in particular does this make me so upset? What does it mean to me when my partner does X, Y, or Z? And if you can figure out the part of you that this action is poking at, then you can kind of try to figure out, okay, well, what does it make me feel like? Like, what does this mean to me? Does this make me feel worthless? Does this make me feel unloved? Does this make me feel like I'm not worth it? And figuring out what your core beliefs are can help you to be more aware of your own trauma and help you essentially manage those triggers. It's kind of like you said, we've been talking about this the whole time, but like being self-aware and really just going back and root causing like what mm-hmm. is my partner doing that really upsets me more than everything else. And I think that's important to look at those things and then figure out why so that you can move forward in that way. And I think a lot of times we, well, you can't speak for everyone, but you know, a lot of times <laughs> I can say we can just get in the moment and just like really focus on the thing and Mm -hmm. that really is just a band-aid over something bigger 
So for sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love that. Really looking at it like the band-aid. So in the moment, you don't want to rip it off, but when you do, that's when you can get to sort of like the deeper trauma and figuring out what that root cause is. Yes. So what is a best practice or a tip you can give on how we can handle disagreements or emotionally charged conversations with our partner? <laughs> for example, is it better to wait a few hours or at least until emotions calm down or just what tips can you give? So <laughs> I'm laughing because this is such a hard one. <laughs> um, and it really boils down to what are the two of you like, right? So if you're both people who don't mind having a conversation just in the moment, then go ahead and do that. If you're both people who need space, go ahead and do that. But what we find as more common is usually there's like one partner that prefers space and one that wants to talk about immediately. And so this is really where struggles will become more apparent. The first thing is identifying like what your conflict style is like, right? So if you if you know that you're the person who needs space, letting your partner know, and if you're the person that you know you want to talk about immediately, kind of bringing that up in your relationship. There isn't necessarily like a better or worse way to do it. It is helpful to remember that after an argument or after a big blowout, you want to work towards repair as quickly as you can. Don't want to allow that resentment to build. You don't want to let that anger build for too long. Um, if you are the person who does need a little bit of space though, that's okay. And if you need time to kind of process stuff on your own before coming back to your partner, that's totally fine. The biggest tip that I can give you here is make sure that there is an agreed upon amount of time. So if you're like, I cannot do this right now, I'm too dysregulated, I'm going to get angry, I'm going to say something or do something that I don't want to do, make sure you tell your partner, hey, like I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling dysregulated right now. I like can't, I don't want to have this conversation right now, but I do want to come back to this conversation. So I'm going to take a 30 minute break. I'm going to go outside by myself. I want to be by myself. I want to get some fresh air, do whatever. And then in half an hour, I will come back to you and we will finish having this conversation because that way you're making a commitment and you are um, allowing the other person to trust, hey, this person is not abandoning me. They are going to come back. So that's like one really good tip that I'll kind of give. Another one that I would say is like, if you know you're about to have an emotionally charged conversation, <laughs> this one's always a good idea. Sometimes it's not super applicable, but asking your partner, if they have the space to have that conversation. So if they're in the middle of work stuff and you're like, we need to talk about our trauma, that is not going to go well, right? Like they might not have the bandwidth for that. But having a conversation kind of being like, when can we talk about this? And then both of you deciding or putting aside some time to be able to have some of those harder conversations. So that way you can fully give each other your full attention and have that be like a quality conversation. I think those both are really great tips, especially with just letting your partner know or whoever know that hey like I need this space and I'm gonna mm -hmm. come back and talk to you in 30 minutes or an hour so it doesn't totally. leave them like you said like anxiously waiting or wondering or walking on eggshells like when is that person gonna bring it up again I'm not sure right. like, how are they feeling because I feel like it's really easy for someone to get in their head mm -hmm. and then also like if you Absolutely. can like being okay with not having an emotionally charged conversation right away like asking that person like hey like when can we have this so that we're both in the right headspace yes. you know a lot of times when like I remember it just reminds me of this one time when I had a roommate <laughs> I don't know I'm laughing but I just remember like I was taking a shower and she was like knocking on my door or I was getting ready to get in the shower and I was like uh -huh. oh I'm about to get in the shower like can we talk like after I get out and she was so <laughs> upset she's like no we need to talk now so it's like me like a Mattel like, opening the door and she 
he's like having right. this emotionally charged conversation. I was mm-hmm. in such shock. I think, <laughs> I, I think it was partly the fact that okay, I'm in a towel. Like I was about to take a shower. Like I don't even yeah. know what to say. Like clearly she's upset that like I, I couldn't respond. I literally sure. just looked at her and she was so upset that I like didn't have anything to say. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's such a great example too because like okay on on your end if you're sort of planning out your day and you're like okay I'm about to hop in the shower I'm gonna do this I'm gonna get ready I'm gonna do whatever and then someone else kind of comes in and just like blows that away and is like we have to have this conversation right now of course you're not gonna want to do it naturally you're not gonna want to do it because you're like I'm in the middle of something so it's fully okay to kind of be like I really want to have this conversation with you and I think it's important that we do I cannot do it right now because of x y and z when's a good time for you where we can go hang out and we can talk about this so just kind of like being aware of each other's time and each other's capacities as well I think can go a really long distance when you're having sort of more difficult conversations yeah and and it's also I guess being able to assert that kind of communication in that moment instead of feeling like oh man like I really just have to even though you know I can't kind of thing sure um so like asserting that boundary is also a really good one but yeah so I hear a lot of mixed thoughts on whether people think dating apps have made dating harder or better Mm. how in your opinion how can people really (laughs) how can people really get out of the mindset of exploring every option and just focus mm-hmm. on the good option in front of them. Totally. I, so I, feel like, hard. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the hard things about dating apps is like dating apps, you have every <laughs> every person in your 50 mile radius or whatever it is, right? Whereas like back in the day, you have three people in your village, pick one of those three, right? And so there's like pros and cons to both of them, obviously, in terms of what could be better, what could be worse. But ultimately, I like what you said about getting out of this mindset that hey, we don't have to explore every single option. You can look at the good that is in front of you. And part of that is like intentionally dating, right? Because if you're just kind of throwing everything at the kitchen sink and like hoping that something is going to stick, then that is not going to be, it's going to be a lot harder to find someone that aligns with what you want if you don't know what you're looking for. So, and I think that's sometimes like dating apps put us in a space where we do that, right? Where it's like, oh, this person's cute. I'm going to swipe. This person's cute. I'm going to swipe. And you forget like, okay, well, am I intentionally dating or am I just kind of like looking through the pile that I have in front of me? So really take some time. If you are using dating apps, that's awesome. But take some time to think about like, what is it that I'm looking for in a potential partner? And are the people that I'm swiping on, do they align with what it is that I'm looking for in a relationship? Because if not, it doesn't matter how cute they are or how cool their job is or how like, cute their dog is or whatever else it is that you're looking at (laughs) on their profile the thing that matters is is this person that I could like see myself doing well in a relationship with so really making sure that you understand what you need and then working your hardest to try to see okay can I get my matches to align with that yes I think that's huge I know a tip that I used when I was on them that someone gave me was to if I want to swipe like set aside a certain period of time maybe it's 15 minutes like twice a week and then just really focus like you know if I've made my list of what I want like kind of like keep that in mind but like when I actually swipe through do more than just look at the pictures like read the profile right and see like based on this profile how well is this person aligning with what I want so I feel like that was like super helpful I love that I love that idea of like kind of taking a moment to like giving yourself a couple minutes before you swipe too because I feel like sometimes when you're on like dating apps for so long like you literally 
literally get trigger happy and you're just like, swipe left, swipe right. Swipe. <laughs> and then you like come back and you look at it and you're like, why did I even match with this person? And you're like, what was it that interested me about them? So nice. I love that tip. Just take a second and like, if you find yourself swiping to the point where your fingers just like going crazy, take a step back, get off the app, go do something else and then come back to it later and think this is not just, I mean, for most people, unless that's your thing. But if you're like <laughs> intentionally trying to date someone for real, being a long-term committed relationship, you're not just like what you said. Like you're not just looking at these photos and just seeing like, is this person attractive? Like you want to make sure like, okay, does this person feel like a good fit? Is this someone that I could be in a relationship with or someone that I would want to be in a relationship with? And then when you kind of have a couple people where you're like, yeah, these are people that I feel like if you're talking to two or three people that you feel like kind of align with you, generally speaking, don't be afraid to ask the harder questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions that people tend to shy away from. Like, what do you want out of a relationship? Do you want want to be married? Do you want children? Where do you want to live long term? Like, do you like your job? Are you passionate about it? Things like that. Because like, you want to make sure that we have a deeper connection than just like physical attractiveness. And I feel like that's sometimes where dating apps can go awry. I agree. And I think those questions are so important because you can have this quote unquote whirlwind romance. But if you Mm -hmm. don't ask those questions, eventually your values and lifestyle are going to cause you guys to not be able to work out. And it's like, why put in all the effort and time when if you just ask those questions, you'd realize that you guys don't really want the same future. So once yeah. you realize that, you kind of like can take that moment and be like, hey, like, do I want to sacrifice this or is just yeah. person not a good fit for me? A hundred percent. I love that you said that because I think like a big part of it too is when we think about love and dating, like so much of it is shallow and very, very surface level. And this person could be the most attractive, the most, you know, the wealthiest person in so many ways. Everything seems like it fits right. But if they don't share the same values as you long term, or they aren't interested in the same lifestyle that you are, it doesn't matter how well you get along. It doesn't matter how good the whirlwind part of the romance was. It doesn't matter how good the the physical chemistry is. It's like, none of that matters if at the end of the day you're not working towards the same shared goals same shared values so really keep that in mind when you are trying to be intentionally dating yes so I know you mentioned couples therapy earlier when we were talking about having kids so what are your thoughts on couples therapy early in a relationship is there such thing as doing it too soon and I love it I'm so pro couples therapy (laughs) I think it's great you know I, I wouldn't be like dating someone for like a month or two and be like let's go to couples therapy. But it's hard to say with time because it really just depends on like the intensity of the relationship. There's definitely, I'm sure there's people out there in the world who met someone and then like a month later, they're like, we're getting married and they've stayed married. And so time isn't really so much of an issue. I guess it's more so what do you want to get out of the relationship? Do you feel like you're at a certain point where you're ready to have those harder conversations? Because if it's sort of a casual relationship, you're less likely to, again, like what we were talking about earlier with trust. Trust is such a big part of a relationship, but also like couples counseling because you you kind of got to get deep. You got to get dirty. You got to talk about the stuff that you don't really talk about with anyone else. So there has to be that certain level of trust and commitment already. So if you feel like, okay, the trust is kind of shaky and the commitment is kind of shaky right now, couples therapy is not the way to go about that. But if you feel like, okay, I'm ready. I want to get to know this person on a deeper level. I want to be able to explore our histories together so that we can work on building the foundation of this relationship. Absolutely get a couples therapist. And definitely if you're considering getting married or having children together, or anything like that, I fully recommend doing it because I think a lot of people have this tendency to think of couples therapy as like a crisis intervention where we're so mad at each other, we hate each other's guts, we're about to get a divorce and now we want to see a couples therapist and they go to the therapist
therapist and they're like, fix us. And the therapist is like, <laughs> you guys already hate each other. There's like really nothing I can do. But you want to sort of frame your couples therapy as less as a crisis intervention and more of preventative intervention. So like, hey, like we noticed that our conflict styles aren't the greatest. We want to be able to work on that. Awesome. Let's get ahead of that and start working on that when things aren't so volatile and so heavy all the time. So that, that way you never hit a point where you're getting super volatile or you're getting to a point where you feel like you hate each other. You have the tools to be able to stay away from that or shy away from that. So think of it mm, as preventative. Yeah not as crisis. I love that you mentioned it because I feel like most people that I've talked to who've gone to couples therapy, even marriage counseling, it has been because things are getting to that volatile state, but they never really yeah. considered it before. So I think what you said is so huge. Like even when we think about, I don't know if you're familiar with functional medicine, but like all that, sure. st- all that stuff is preventative. <clears throat> like yes. you don't wait until we're sick to like figure out what's going on inside our body. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same thing. So I love that. Yeah. Cause I feel like so often like we push stuff aside, right? It's not important. It's not important right now. It's not important right now. I don't want to spend the money on it right now. I don't want to deal with it right now. And we just pretend like it doesn't exist. But when we do that, it builds and builds and builds. And then there's resentment and anger and hatred and all this other good stuff that goes right into it. And then at the end, that's what you're giving to your therapist to work with. It's too much. Like at that point, the damage has already been done and it's so deep that it I mean not to say that it never works or that you can't ever like heal when you're at that point absolutely you can but it's just a lot harder so if you can get ahead of it make your life easier for you start doing it when you think about couples therapy when you're not at that point yet because naturally you're two different human beings you were just naturally going to trigger each other there's going to be stuff that you don't agree on and the point isn't hey we have to be on the same page about everything forever it's can we have these harder conversations without getting to a point where we feel like we hate each other. Yes, I love that. I feel like that's so huge. So is there any advice or tips you would like to leave the audience with when it comes to seeking out a healthy relationship? Prioritizing, again, those pillars, trust, commitment, intimacy, making sure that they are a good fit for your life, not just for right now. So something that I always like to say is if the person that is standing right in front of you, that person, would you be ready to marry them right now? And if the answer is no, ask yourself why. You can't be in relationships and kind of just think about, well, this is the person that they are now, but maybe they'll change and maybe they'll do this and maybe I can make them change. No. Look at the person that's standing in front of you and say, 90% of the way, is this a person that I feel like I can see myself with in the long term? And then also that 10% that I'm not sure about, is that something that they have been willing to work on? Are they open to influence? Are they willing to try to better themselves? And do I see examples of them bettering themselves for their own self and their own life? Not necessarily with us as a couple. Do they care for themselves? Do they care for their families, et cetera, et cetera. So thinking about people as a whole, as opposed to, well, they make me feel good right now. I love that. And it reminds me when I was in my early 20s, a woman, she's a married woman, she gave me that advice about the guy I was dating. She was like, mm. could you see yourself marrying this man as he is today, knowing yes. that he might never change? And I really yes. like that when you really like someone, I feel like it's a tough question to hear, especially at that young age. But also it caused me to think and made me realize like, no, like I can't, to be honest. Yeah. So I feel like we have to just allow ourselves to like answer that question honestly. Mm-hmm. And like, that's really oh, yeah. what I had to do. For sure. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's a great tip too, Victoria is like, just like, be honest with yourself. Like at the end of the day, you're not fooling anyone. You can't lie to yourself. So mm-hmm. if you sit down with yourself, have honest conversation with yourself and be like, is this relationship right for me? Do I feel safe? Do I feel loved? Do I feel cared for? And 
does this person try genuinely try with me and to try to reassure me and make sure that I feel good? That's what you want to look out for. Yes. So for someone who's listening to this and is now interested in looking for a therapist, how can they go about finding one? So that's a great question. I mean, the internet is at your hands. It you are <laughs> you can literally find the most amazing therapists online. There's a ton of different like therapist directories. Psychology Today is probably the most popular one, and it's probably one of the biggest directories. There's also also a directory called Good Therapy, Therapy Den. And then there's a ton of sort of like smaller directories out there, depending on what you're looking for. So as a South Asian person, there's a directory called South Asian Therapist. Um, there's one, I believe it's called Black Girls Heal. But take some time, do some research, figure out what is it that you're looking for in a therapist. So if, if you're looking for a couples therapist, make sure you're finding someone who's specialized or has training in couples therapy. Um, if you're looking for someone who can help you with trauma, make sure that they have some sort of trauma-informed background or some sort of trauma training. And on all of these directories too, by the way, if you if you look someone up, it'll tell you kind of what they specialize in, what they have experience in and stuff like that. So make sure that you're not making a rash decision when you are picking a therapist because it does take time. So you don't have to pick the first person that you look up or the first person in your area. Make sure that you sort of like their vibe based off of those profiles because they're writing those profiles, right? So it'll tell you a lot about them when you see what are they writing about themselves and their practice. So really taking your time with figuring out who could be a good fit for me. Just like dating, you don't have to pick the first person you see. <laughs> you can email a couple therapists, get a feel for them, get a feel for what works, what they like, and how they can help you because different therapists will have different modalities and stuff. So make sure you find one that's a good fit. But one thing that I encourage everyone to keep in mind too, your first therapist might not be your forever therapist. And that is okay. Just like your first relationship might not be your forever person. That's okay. Sometimes you kind of got to bounce around a little bit. And the easiest way to think about it too, at least in a healthcare setting is like your first doctor is not always your favorite. Like sometimes you go to a doctor and you're like, eh, that was like, whatever, like, maybe I'll see if I can find someone new. Therapists work the same way. At the end of the day, they're human. They're people. They're not just robots that have the perfect thing to say what you may not like, someone else might really vibe with. So it's not necessarily like a dig on the therapist, but you're also allowed to be like, this person does not really align with what I'm looking for. I'm going to try to find someone else. And there's no shame in doing that. You're not always going to... And I mean, I know, Victoria, that you kind of have that story. You, your first therapist wasn't your favorite, but it's so exciting that you know you have found someone now that you love. So Exactly. I can definitely relate to that. And I feel like something that really helped me, I don't know if all therapists offer this, but I did consultation so that I could talk yes. to them for like, I think it was like 10 minutes, maybe 15. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me figure out who was going to be like a really good fit for me before I even started my session. Yes, I love that. That's such a good um, tip to include on usually in people's directories or their websites, you'll be able to see if they offer a free consultation. If they do, definitely take them up on that opportunity. And it's usually, you know, like you said, like 10, 15 minutes, you just kind of get to chat, get a feel for the person and let that kind of factor in. Even if they don't say that they have consultations, ask, ask if they do do a consultation because you never know every now and then people might make an exception or if they have the time they might be able to call you in between clients or something like that. I don't advertise consultation on my website, but like if I have the time and I'm able to do it, I don't mind picking up the phone and calling people. So if it's not explicitly stated, just make sure you ask. It might not always be a yes, but if it isn't, then no harm, no foul. But if it is, then great. Then you you get yourself a little 10 minutes with your future therapist. Yes, such a good point. So where can we all follow you? So 
so that we can, you know, just stay in touch because we love your advice. I know I do. We're going to follow <laughs> yes. you and connect Thank with you. Thank you. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at Talk Therapy with Nina. You can also, I have like profiles on those directories that I was talking about. So if you're interested in therapy services and you live in Arizona, you can find me on Psychology Today. You can find me on Good Therapy and feel free to reach out. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I always enjoy talking to you. So you literally are welcome on the podcast whenever you want to I would love to come (laughs) back. I love it here. So thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you all for tuning into this week's episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye, grown girl gang.